Copy, ship boss. I got radio check. Yeah, radio is working fine. Yeah, copy all personnel. Yeah, copy, mate. The chair in the vent bag. Yeah, stitcher up then, thanks, mate. Right, g'day, Money Miners, 13th of June, Tuesday. Now, first, before we get into it, there was a very unfortunate event, uh, a fatality at the Onslow Iron Project. So, look, on behalf of all of us, thoughts are with all the workers, family, friends and colleagues of this man. Uh, also, both thoughts with uh, Min Resin, the contractor who was, who he was employed with. So, yeah, very sad news for the industry. Um, so yeah, think, thinking of you all up there. So JD, welcome back, Cobber. You Thanks, are Maddie. back in town, mate. Yeah, excited to be back in town. Back How on the was show. Africa? It was unreal. Can't recommend it enough to anyone thinking of going out there. Just do it. Pull the trigger. Just don't buy a lithium project in <laughs> over there. No, we'll get into that way. We're we? getting. We are going deep into AVZ. Territory. Trav and JD have been heavily in the weeds. Uh, this is going to be sensational. Trav. Hey, mate. How are you, Cobber? Uh, it's, it's no surprise, right, that, that JD comes back from Africa and he wants to spend the whole episode talking about <laughs> Africa. Was that my suggestion? You didn't, you didn't go visit the Monono Lithium Project while you were there, JD? Uh, I didn't make it up to the Congo, but we're actually a bit uh, spoiled for choice looking back. There's quite a bit to talk about today. There is, right. We better get into it because we're going to go heavy in AVZ. We're going to give the uh, news of the day straight up. Now, first up, we've got Glencore. They've made a bid for Tex Met Coal Unit. So that comes after Glencore. They were unable to acquire Tech fully. Um they did in the process halt tech's attempt to. I think they were going to split out the the coal division from yeah, the a lot copper a, business. So. A lot going on there. They really got themselves in the middle of that one. Stopped the the business splitting up into a metals co and Elk Valley, which was going to be the met coal business. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I think there might be a few other parties circling. I think and Glencore ve- feature again today. So bit more SPAC activity over in Brazil. So you've got the mining SPAC ACG acquisition case. So they're London listed. So they've they've agreed to buy the uh, Atlantic Nickel and Mineracho Valverde. I actually Googled that, how to pronounce it. Superb, mate. I don't think, I don't know if I got Val. Is it Vale? Uh, So that's their operations in Brazil. So they're purchasing that from the private equity group Appian for US $1 billion. So... ACG, the reason why Glencore's linked to this, ACG, they're the acquirer, they're backed by Glencore, the La Mancha Resource Capital, uh, they're a mining fund, and Stellantis. So those three mobs alone, uh, sorry, ACG will own 51% combined once completed and the rest. No, the rest a- ACG will entirely own the assets and then those groups that you mentioned oh, yeah. And then the rest, is, the, the rest is free float, 49% right. free float. Um, so, look, the assets include in this deal the Santa Rita nickel sulphide project and the Sorote, probably got that wrong, copper mine. So, were, these, were these the ones that like, have been tried to sell last yeah, year? Yeah, so Sabanye Stillwater, the, uh, the South African group, yeah. they'd agreed to purchase these and then there was a geotechnical event uh, sometime last year. Yeah. And then they pulled out Before and... Before completion, but, but after the agreement. Exactly. Yeah. So, in turn, we saw Appian, the group trying to sell them, Sue Sabanye for not going through with the transaction. So. Um, but it'd be a material adverse event, you would have thought. So, yeah. Absolutely. You'd, you'd have to agree with that. But, yeah, I'm not sure how it really reflects upon, on 
Appian suing the the party that's yeah. what they're sort of in the business with, but they're interested in selling assets. So yeah, it's yeah. Um, not a, yeah, not good to take. Well, a bit of I guess to link it up to how this is um, might impact some stocks on the ISX. So look 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 at what this Santa Rita, that's the nickel sulfide project. So they produced uh, nearly sixteen thousand ton of nickel, uh, twenty twenty one five thousand ton of copper. So. And their look, their gold project. That's they produce twenty thousand ton of copper and nine thousand ounces of gold. So look, a bit of commentary from Argonaut saying that this is a good sign for Centaurus because they're developing the Jaguar nickel sulfide project in Brazil, and so they're they're project, projected to produce in excess of twenty thousand ton. So Santa Rita produced sixteen thousand ton, and they're converting that into a nickel sulfate. So they've got a you know fifteen year mine life and a high payability. So. Good news for them if there's a bit of activity going on in Brazil. So watch out there. Uh, IGO, they've also appointed a new CEO, Ivan Vela, following their extensive search since the unfortunate passing of Peter Bradford late last year. So Ivan, where's he come from, boys? 20 years at Rio, we read. So he's currently the the head of the aluminium business there. And I think uh, by December or by January, he'll uh, start in the hot seat at IGO. December, yeah, Rio put out their own announcement on his departure as well. So must yeah. be um, an important person there. IGO going for the big company, big company man by the looks. Uh, let's, bit of rare earth news. Plenty actually from Hastings Dreadnought and Lindian. So Hastings, they've entered a head of agreement with NEO, outlining a framework for the parties to negotiate a binding commercial offtake for the supply of rare earth concentrate from their stage one of their Yanja Banner project. So that was what we talked about last week when that was split up, wasn't it, Trav? So splitting up the development in the stage one and stage two. Mate, exactly. Two. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, but they're... Um, that, that Neo, keep in mind, Neo is this sort of downstream magnet producer. So you send your you send your um, your rare earth NDPR product there, and, and they they basically convert it to these products for magnets. Um, and and before like last year, Wailu actually provided a convertible note to Hastings for Hastings to acquire nineteen point nine percent of Neo. So Hastings saw merit in putting the two businesses together. Um, I don't think they've been able to to do that to date, but they've got this sort of offtake. Um, or, or an agreement to to um, to have you know a, uh, an offtake sort of converted um, in relation to some of their their supply. They're, like you said, they're breaking down into stage one and stage two. Stage one, they're going to produce um, the, just a concentrate, and then stage two, they're building a hydromet plant, and they're going to produce a mixed rare earth carbonate there. Um, yeah, I think we're going to see more and more of that. That was just on the back of a huge cost blowout that they split them into stage one and two, wasn't it? Well, they they, they announced the capex had gone up as part of also announcing it being staged capex. The share price fell off like in line with it, and the share price is off again today. But you know, you also saw two directors buying shares on market, so they're seeing value there, and um, and maybe and maybe some of the value to be had is in you know the, what what the commercial realities of of um you know an arrangement could be with a downstream partner such as such as neo and, and the interesting thing to me was it um the arrangement or well, it's, it's an agreement it's not binding at this stage but it, it you know it, it paves the framework to convert it to something binding um but it actually covers up to 70 percent of the production in the first 10 years from stage one and stage two um and in my mind i'm, I'm kind of wondering how i lucas proposed any other refinery might sort of pave into um any any remaining production there because you know they've, they've obviously got um, room for additional feed in that proposed refinery, and I would have thought Hastings could be um, you know one of the one of the sources of feed there. 
Yeah, but now Dreadnought up in the same area. So they've released first assays from their extensional drilling. So in addition to their, so they've got a three-kilometre-long uh, inferred resource. So they've extended that by a kilometre. So they're looking for another resource update coming June, July. So imminent and another one coming in December December 23 quarter. So... Uh, yeah, I think, I think like... There's a, there's a bunch happening in that Gascoigne region from a rare earth perspective. A lot of, you know, um, junior companies are, are putting out results. Dreadnought's one with a pretty substantial market cap. I think it's $180 million market cap now and they've actually um, got an existing resource there and and uh, uh, which, which has, you know, reasonable grade. It's not it's not a TREO or TRIO, as you told me, Matty, that's quoted in um, in parts per million that's actually quoted in percentage, which is always a telling sign. That yeah, very <laughs> much so. Now, yeah. who wants to do the next one because I can't pronounce the... Okay, word. <laughs> Lindian Resources has kicked off the design work stream for its stage one processing plant at its Kangang Kunde Rare Earths project in Malawi. You guys familiar with this one? Uh, not not heaps, mate, but... Um, we had a brief chat with um, the guys at Precision and they spoke quite favourably of, of the stock and... Um, and what they've got going on in Malawi. So stage one is indicated as a small throughput plant, 220,000 tonnes per annum and simply producing a monsodite concentrate. CapEx and OPEX to be finalised in early 24. So within within the next year, they're trying to seal up the, the CapEx and OPEX side of things, which indicate in 12 months construction and commissioning highlighted to begin quarter, quarter four next year. So, yeah, and it's, like a, you know, $400 million market cap. Yeah, so company, big, yeah. big 18 months coming up for the company. Malawi, oh, more your territory, JD. That's why he could pronounce it. He's, yeah, he's well, got the African lingo. <laughs> we, we posed the, the question to Clates, I think, when we spoke with them three weeks ago, and he um, he said Malawi stands out, you know, amongst Africa as one of the better jurisdictions. So we'll keep our eyes peeled on that one. Clates didn't mind Africa. He said there's, you know, there's there's Africa, then there's Africa. Yeah. So he's uh, he's obviously a fan of places like that. Just like <laughs> there's Congo and there's Congo, as we'll there's, find out. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, there's just Congo, I think. Um, now, Rocks Resources, they had some more results from its You and Me gold project. So third batch of assay results received. Ongoing uh, best results, 6.4 metres, 4.5 grams. Four metres at 5.7, about 250 to 380 metres down hull. So now the big rise for the day, final one, uh, has come from Azure Minerals, AZS. So they're up 32% after hitting 105 metres at 1.26% lithium oxide. And that, so that was 256 metres down hull. They've got 60% ownership of this Andover project in the West Pilbara. And look, they've interpreted this 256 metres down old to line up with an outcrop at the surface. So something to watch there. For yeah, another... still a bit of frothiness in the market. I think at one point they were up 70-odd percent. Oh, really? So, yeah. 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 And they've talked about the the, um, the base metals strategy there and um, $300 million market cap now, which is, yeah, interesting. There you go. Right. AVZ, our three favourite letters for the day. Deep dive number two. So we did cover it uh, early on. That uh, got some – God, that got us a few new subscribers. There's a whole bloody uh, – there's a big forum and network of people on the net in this. So look and – Big one, mate. Big one. And a lot of people with shitloads of money probably still tied up in it since it's been suspended in trading. So look, who wants to give the overview, boys? I'm not going to take the glory off you because you did such a bloody good job of researching this. Lead it away, JD, for, I guess for people that have just 
might not have heard of this because I'm sure there is some. Yeah, that's Just it. Let's give a brief we'll, scope of what's going on here. We'll give it a, a bit of context. So we spoke about it five, five or six weeks ago now. So they've got the, well, under question, the Monono project in the DRC. So some one of, have got some portion of it. The portion is unknown. Exactly. So <laughs> why this might be of note, they reached a market cap of $4.6 billion. They were a member of the ASX 200. So that would have been late 21, early 2022. And they've been in suspension since May of 2022. So that's over a year now. And at the time they went into suspension, they'd come off a bit, but they were still capped at 27 Billion dollars, so huge, huge money. I suppose for for people who want to know how could someone be capped that big uh, in exploration. So they host what is, I'm pretty sure, definitively the hard, the biggest hard rock lithium resource in the world. So they had a resource of 400 million tons at 1.65 percent. So to give a bit of um, mm. comparison, so in 2021, green bushes, which is the flagship in Australia or was the yep. flagship in the world. Worldwide, so That yeah. was 360 million tonne at 1.5%. And Pilbara Minerals there, Pilgrain Gora, is uh, at 2021 was 309 million tonne at 1.14. So, and these guys have got 400. So that that is, it is Mate, big, you've been, even, you've been reading notes then. You've rolled that off the top of your head. <laughs> I remember <laughs> it from impressed. last time. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, there, there are a few. That's not, not true. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few points that we raised last time that kind of stood out to us about this company. So one of them being uh, what we sort of perceived as poor governance, you know, consistently coming out with reports at 6pm on a Friday, not keeping the shareholders updated, a lot of queries and taking months to answer ASX queries. Uh, They've continued that Friday thing too, haven't they, JD? They sure have. (laughs) Relatively high exec remuneration. And again, we flagged a lot of this is obviously given in stock, which is in, in limbo. They can't sell that at the moment, but I think between the the eight executives that um, the report, the annual report highlighted, there was nearly fourteen million dollars in compensation for an exploration play. That's that's quite hefty, and we raised the question of whether they should even be in suspension, which we're going to get into a bit more later on. So. Yeah, like we sort of said, they did their usual again and came out with an announcement at 6 p.m. last Friday. And Aftermarket. They love it. They love the Aftermarket Friday announcement. Yeah, we'll, we'll chuck up. <laughs> they a, know we're going to talk about it when I, they do that. Because no, yeah, no one will notice AVZ putting out an announcement. Yeah, yeah not, not slipping past us. And it was, a, it was a bit of a mouthful, wasn't it, Trav, this one, what they, what they came out with, a lot of yeah. legal terminology. Yeah. So... Yeah. AVZ plus DATHCOM have jointly commenced arbitration against the DRC, so that's the country. So DATHCOM is a 100% owner in Monono. So that's the head company and then AVZ owns a percentage of that. Exactly right. that head company owns or has the rights to the the project. Exactly right. So the suit claims that the DRC acted unlawfully in not issuing a mining license to DATHCOM and in, in turn to AVZ to develop the project. And this has been lodged with the International Centre for Settlement of Investment Disputes. So ICSID. That's how you say it? So this is different to the International Court of Arbitration for which they've been before, different different setup? Yes, I think that one might be Switzerland-based and um, this one's based in Washington, D.C., so a couple of highlights from the, the one-pager today. The, the main purpose of the arbitration request is to seek various remedies for the DRC's failure to comply with its own mining code and the company considers the conduct of the DRC to be unlawful. So yeah, there was another a announcement. It's deal, right, when you, when you 
when you go through the process of of um, international arbitration at ICSID, it's like yeah, it's a pretty big and it's huge, yeah, big thing to do. Yeah, so we'd seen an announcement on on the fifteenth of May as well, hadn't we? So AVZ announcing that Zijin, the Chinese group, and Common Year, which is the um, sort of belongs to the the government of the Congo, they were seeking damages totaling eight hundred and fifty million US and five hundred and sixty six million US, respectively, plus a termination of the. DATHCOM joint venture agreement, which, like we mentioned, has control over the asset. So what's the, what's so the, the context of... Yeah, so the history of that wasn't so... Correct me if I'm wrong, Common Air um, went to sell a portion... The Congolese government-owned mining company went to sell a portion of the project to this Zijin mining, which... And then Zijin claimed, they which, claimed that ownership. So AVZ claimed that they had the first right of refusal over that yep. 15% stake, which was sold to Zijin. So they are disputing that Zijin is the rightful owner of that 15%. Yep. And there is also another 15% portion of ownership in DATHCOM um, yep. under question. Yeah, they basically, I mean, AVZ's perspective is that per the shareholders agreement in, in DATHCOM, they have a right of first refusal over any sale interest. Now, now there was a, a, a sale conducted or, you know, share transfer certificate issued and um, ABZ claimed that they didn't have a right over that and deemed it sort of unlawful and also immaterial for the purpose of continuous disclosure um, based on the fact that, it, you know, their shareholders agreement deemed it unlawful and also that the, the DRC's mining code um, has to respect uh, a right of first refusal to actually, um, you know, en- enable... A change of ownership too, and that was in so, and that was obviously in one of the one of the cases. There's been numerous cases. That was the one that was in the International Court of Arbitration. Yeah, it was progressing to the International Court of Arbitration. So some of the language that AVZ used, like you sort of touched on there, Trav, AVZ considers the the claims by Zijin and Comenier to be spurious in nature, without merit, containing fundamental and material errors, and having no substance or foundation in fact or law. So. Strong wording. Pretty interesting, mate. It's um, you you look at this and you read the announcement, and there's a few like take the first thing you look at when you see they're going down the pathway of exit is you just think this is going to take a long. T- if they see it through to the end, this could take a really long time to get an outcome. A hundred percent. So we'll we'll unpack the the talking points that that we've sort of come up here, and that's that's number one, isn't it? This like we did a bit of digging, and on average, these things take three years and seven months. Some of the examples went up to 10 years. Like this is not a, a quick process by any means, is it? So, so if, if Zijin and Common Air are seeking damages at the moment, where did, I guess, the arbitration proceedings get to of Zijin now saying they don't own this portion, now they're seeking damages because of that? Where's all that at? That, I guess that's what's all up in the air that's at, I at think the, the, way I would, the way I'd interpret this, this piece, Maddie, is like, like there's a there's a like the world of international arbitration. It's not just like ICSID. There's other elements of arbitration, and it, it, what, what this looks like is an escalation of that. And it's and it's a move made by AVZ. And it probably what it does is the fact that they're going to ICSID. It actually elevates their position of negotiation for a settlement. I think, and we right. we, can, we can get to that. Yeah. A, bit, a bit down the track. So Zijin are saying, we, if we are not going to get own, our p- portion of the ownership, we want you to pay us $850 million US. Yeah, I think those, the litigation that you're seeing from, from Zijin and also um, coming come near, you know, that, 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 like, that probably lends itself more to sort of 
textbook um, negotiation strategy. They're building, they're building a case to get the best possible outcome in a potential settlement, I would imagine. Yeah. I'm not sure how, how justified their, their claims are. Yeah, I think that's a, a good sort of lens to, to view it through. Another thing we should mention is the funding situation. Like this is dragging on for quite a while. You can't imagine they're going to do a capital raise. So they've still got $27 million in the tin. So they've got a bit of money to continue to fund these legal proceedings. They actually still were spending a bit on exploration as of the last quarter. So you can easily see when it comes to a bit more of a crunch period when they get to the the sort of end of that funding, they'll wind down the exploration, I'd imagine, yeah. and just really focus on, you know, paying the lawyers so they can have a good uh, legal fight. Yeah. And if I it, guess. like the weird world of international arbitration, there's there are these sort of litigant funders who can come into the mix and, um, you know, that, the, the way it all sort of works is there's, you know, a, a probability outcome associated with um, – with arbitration, sometimes there's a settlement involved, but litigant funders are basically um, ultimately financed by the probability of that payoff and that takes a slice of economics away from shareholders. Yeah, I guess their their business model, in a sense, is similar to the class action lawsuit that um, hasn't been launched yet, but is, you know, there's rumours about it, you know. Like, this is something that comes up quite often, but the position that like they'll pay it up front and they'll take a potential slice of the winning is a similar type of business model, isn't it? Yep. Right. So should AVZ be trading? Yeah, they haven't been trading for a long time. Uh, and, and another question is what would happen if they restarted trading? <laughs> That'd be very interesting. Chaos, I think. But yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one. And I can I can see both sides of, of the argument, you know, some of the, the wording with regard to why they're not trading that AVZ used uh, a couple months ago was that it couldn't comply with listing rules around disclosure, partly because the DRC is a challenging mining jurisdiction and its government's intentions are too unclear to warrant disclosure. So the, what they're really saying is that they wouldn't be able to meet the ASX's continuous disclosure requirements and hence they're, they're not trading at all. What do you guys yeah. think of that? Uh, I think for them to mount an argument based on um, upholding the continuous disclosure ruling is a bit, um, yeah, a bit of a stretch given, you know, they've questionably sort of been um, been in breach of that one themselves. So I, I can see the strategy for them to not be trading and I think that probably lends itself to negotiation for a settlement, which again, we'll, we'll, we'll get to, but I, I don't. Uh, I think, you know, I think there's a whole bunch of vested interests here, right? There's the interest of shareholders, there's the interest of um, the Congo, there's the interest of uh, Zijin, there's the interest of short sellers, there's the interest of um, so many different parties that just kind of, it's a little bit murky. And I don't think that, like, I think, I think it all comes down to like, what is the real information here? And do shareholders actually have that yet? Yeah, agreed. I, I don't think AVZ are making all the effort in the world to try and be, you know, trading at the moment. And that's obviously what they yep. think is in the interest of um, of their yep. shareholders and of the company. I still think if, if I was a shareholder, would I want to be able to trade my shares? I think I, I would only if, but assuming that all of the information is out there. Yep. If all of the information is out there, then- And that's, a big, that's a big if yep. Yep. as well. But if they started trading with someone, because um, they would obviously be, they're wanting to maintain ownership, but this being out of trading is locking this- uh, Locking it up for them, essentially. Yeah, it wouldn't. I don't know. Would anyone really. want to take it over <laughs> after all this? No, I, no, I don't. I don't think it's got to do with the control element of um, 
of the asset. I think it it probably just has more to do with because I mean, like for, for their position, right? How how are they actually really going to operate this? Like they've got hostile relationship with the government. Like there's, in no world is that you know are they going to have a good social license to ever be operator of this mine? So I think the only real eventual outcome here is is a settlement. Um, yeah, and they're not going to get they wouldn't get funding from C Gin. You wouldn't think <laughs> <laughs> after all this, yeah. especially only twenty million bucks in the bank. Yeah, I think that I mean that naturally flows into what we think is going to going to happen. And like you said, sort of settlement. I think we can kind of agree that's going to be the ultimate outcome of this case. So, so we, okay. So what the what's the settlement? What happens in the settlement? Where do they? Who has to fund the damage payment? Do they have to then sell the asset to so fund like, the like, damage payment? Let's let's talk about so like like all of that stuff goes away in a settlement, right? Because you've got you've basically got like the you know Zijin is aligned with common 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 near on yep. this one, um, and then there's also a you know a, a potential class action. I, I, you know, I, I would imagine you can reach a sort of agreement where um, where the, lit- the those lit- litigation angles disappear in a settlement, right? That's just but at the exact same time, AVZ's settlement, so AVZ's um, uh, lodgement with ICSID for, for an arbitration ruling would also disappear, right? You don't, you don't have to see the international arbitration through all the way to the end. They might just think the strategy for them to get a best possible outcome here is um, to put the pressure on by, you know, lodging this thing um, at Washington, D.C., um, and then all of a sudden now now they're in a better position to reach a settlement. And, um, like, like and by all means, it looks like they have a case, right? Like there's um, there's probably a shareholders agreement which has been breached. There's a mining code which you know like appears to not have been um, lived up to stringently. And there's um, and the, and the other thing too is like they actually still have majority interest of the project. If you look at other precedent cases that have gone down the pathway of international arbitration at ICSID, um, you can think of Sundance. You can think of Equatorial. Now they're in the other Congo, which is often talked about as the good Congo. Um, they're in the other Congo. And um, in both of those uh, cases, the assets that they had were actually fully expropriated from the government. So they like it, that's a completely different situation because you don't have any more negotiating leverage if, uh, if your entire asset's been taken. You have to go down the full pathway of international arbitration and wait for them to actually sort of, you know, rule you as, um, as, as, as a valid, um, yeah, valid, valid kind of ha- having a valid claim there. Yeah. And they, they were suing for a pile of money. They didn't want the mining license yep. to the projects. They were suing for damages, weren't they? Yeah. And in this, in this instance, because, um, like, like this, this international arbitration sort of lodgement, they, because they still own the majority interest of the project, it might be more of a preventative measure to pre- tr- prevent what looks to be like, you know, pr- pr- probable expropriation in the future. Um, and But in my mind, there's still going to be a really hostile relationship with the government as a result of it. And I think the best possible outcome that they could want is selling that remaining interest in the project um, in exchange for a pile of cash. And at the same time, all of the litigation goes away too. And so whatever the shareho- shareholders in that situation would have some entitlement to the pile of cash that yeah. they get. And um, and from that perspective, if you think settlement is the ultimate goal, you can actually kind of understand why they wouldn't want to be trading right now because um, in the negotiation process, the other side simply just points to a lower share price to argue the, the a lower see-through value on what um, their share of the project is. So, so who buys that other share? 
well, it, it, it's ultimately all going to go to, you know, Comineer and, and Zijin. They're in. They're, they're, they're the aligned parties in this one yeah. against against AVC. So that's a possible outcome that Zijin will have that fifteen percent. I see that as the the more likely outcome from a settlement process. I mean, there's still another angle where AVC want to retain um, and see like and, and reap the reward of the the economics of this project through to the end. And I imagine they'll keep their real intentions close to their. Um, chest, but but it's hard to imagine that being the case with this sort of relationship with the host country. Exactly. Mm. So another interesting point is that just the polarizing nature of of this story. Depending on what source you read, you're going to get very very different points of view and and interests, aren't you? So depends who's being fed what. Exactly. So you look at the AFR, and they seem to have a a, a bit of a bias. They're much more on the on the side that AVZ hasn't done right by their their shareholders. Yeah. And as always, I think it just sort of pays to uh, to look at where the information's coming and what the yeah. In- incentives are. Yeah, I mean, like Tom Richardson, who's been covering it, um, he's, he's um, I think, like, he's, it's, I think it's easier to, to, to point a finger at, at poor corporate governance, and, and we've, we've done that ourselves, um, but it's easier to point a finger at poor corporate governance than it is to point a finger at, at a nation state. Uh, and at the same, you know, but like, I'm not sure if we can really take, you know, Tom Richardson's um, words with a lot of like gravity, given the fact that, you know, in one instance, he didn't even get the country right. He put up a photo of um, the wrong Congo. I'm not sure he knew there were two Congos out there, but he uploaded a photo of the wrong Congo in the, uh, in the article. Yeah, it's not a great look, that one. <laughs> so another takeaway that uh, I think is worth discussing, the corporate governance. Obviously, we spoke about this last time, but yeah, I'm still not convinced it's completely up to scratch. We'll chuck up a screenshot of their um, history of when they put up announcements and you can see the majority of them just come at, you know, 5 or 6 p.m. frequently on a Friday as well. So, yeah, yeah, and it's not that they're, they're trading, but it, it basically just minimises the amount of press coverage if you, if you drop it at that time. Yeah, if it sort of stays stays under wraps. So another another point worth worth talking about is the the current climate in the DRC and in African countries more broadly. So we saw Glencore pay $180 million fine, I think in December of, of last year, and that was to settle corruption cases. Yeah, they admitted, bribe, they admitted bribery to officials of the DRC between, I think it was 2007 and 2018, and yet their fine that they ended up having to pay also went to the DRC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Work that one out. I, I, I can't quite, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, the, the DRC is just, just one example. It's not the only country in the world that has these sorts of um, unfortunate issues and histories of corruption. But It'd have to be one of the best well-known corrupt countries, I would imagine. Yeah, and I, th- I think that just It'd really... be up there. It, that just really ties to how resource abundant it is. Mm. It has so many, you know, really phenomenal assets that... Um, kind of should be mined, you know, you could argue for, you know, a lot of great copper assets like what we're talking about here, lithium assets, which would be great for the world going forward. I suppose uh, could, there are ones that work. There's the Kabali gold mine over there. That's massive being going yeah, for a while. Yeah, and Kamoa Kukula that uh, yeah. Robert Friedland and Ivanhoe mine, um, actually together with Zijin, uh, are mining is a, just a phenomenal asset and it's good to see these things get into production. And, um, yeah, it, it sort of brings about the, the question of, the influence of China in the region. So they had the huge, you know, Belt and Road initiative that I think started in 2013 that um, President Xi 
brought about. And their influence in, in Africa has just grown phenomenally after over, over the past 10 years, you know, and that's, you know, trains, roads, critical mineral assets being bought and developed. And yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty easy to say that the West has been pretty slow to the party and now we're trying to do a bit of catch up and build better relationships and get these these projects going and have relationships with the re- with the West rather than just with with yeah. China. Well, I mean, I think I think China has a different you know set of rules that they can abide by when it comes to doing business in Africa, and and that set of rules or, or lack of rules might be you know, better equipped to actually um, form alignment with certain governments. And and I think you see a little bit of that in this uh, quote that that um, ABZ they actually say in one of their responses to the ASX um, list of questions, they say, the company is concerned the continued activity of the hostile non-state actors may influence the decisions of the key authorities in DRC in a manner that is contrary to applicable law and materially adverse to the interests of the company. You know, it makes me think of the the interview we had with Warren Irwin. So we'll, we'll chuck the link to that one in the show notes if anyone hasn't seen it. But that was a really great chat. And he, yeah, he really spoke about the, the different rules that they're able to play by, you know. If you have to pay a police officer or someone that's pulled you over and you're the director of a public company on the ASX or on the, you know, Canadian exchange, you know, that's it. You've you've breached your um, the the sort of oath you've taken as a director of a public company, and you can be be sued and so on for that. And yeah, like you just sort of highlighted in what AVZ have said, they don't have to really play by the same rules, do they? Hmm. I don't know, mate. What about the uh, I guess the political stability going forward over there? So yeah, mate. So the, the like, and I think that's another interesting point, right? There's a general election coming up on the on the twentieth of December. Um, and so, I mean, there could be some change in political regime and, and you know, that might have an influence in, in how all of this unfolds as well. Um, and, you know, I, th- I think, you know, we should, we should also keep in mind that uh, the DRC has the word democratic in its name. So we know that election will be conducted in the most democratic way possible, Maddie. Of course. <laughs> Isn't China democratic as well? <laughs> all the countries that need to tell you they're democratic. The Democratic People's <laughs> Republic of North Korea as well. So. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Right. Cuba, right, top stuff, boys. Well done. So I guess back to Trav's prediction was Zijin will – it'll settle and Zijin will have a stake. Stay tuned, mate. That, that could be one of those things. I picked it, says Trav. I picked yeah. it. It might be years before, um, yeah, you before might be. we get to celebrate that one. But. We'll keep the alerts on, <laughs> on our watch list. Podcast mightn't exist by then. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, very good. Uh, well, I guess we'll have to wait another six months until they bring out another announcement possibly. <laughs> Yeah, we'll keep the alerts on so they don't slip past <laughs> us. But Friday afternoon, everyone, stay tuned for your AVZ headlines. Perfect. Good stuff, right, guys. Anything else, boys? Sensational deep dive as always. Money miners, take it easy. Oh, there's a – should we tell them about the group? Yes. Facebook group. There is a money miners Facebook group. Uh, come and join. Hooteroo. And then you get in the Hooteroo chat. Uh, engage with the hosts and the fans. That's it. We'll, we'll share it in the in the YouTube and, love it. and all the comments and stuff. Oh, mate, and we should say too, oh, yeah, we, we, we want to do a session at a pub. We want to do a live show at a pub yes. on a Friday afternoon one day. Does anyone have a pub or have a mate with a pub, preferably in the city? We just want to sit there. We're going to do a live show and drink pints and talk shit to everyone. And do a live and show. A laugh. Yeah, it'd be bloody great. So anyone want to host us, the paddo will be all right. 
So anyone Beautiful. own the patter, any of the listeners own the patter, let us know. <laughs> That's it. Hooteroo, guys. Hooteroo, Money Miners. Hooteroo. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs.